0: Welcome to On The Fly, the fly fishing podcast for people on the fly, with Ben and Steve from Meander Flyco. We're going to share some anecdotes,
1: chat to other passionate fishers, and share some tips and techniques, because there's always something to learn in this game. Basically, we want to keep you connected to your passion when you can't be out on the water.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or check out our store or our socials at Meander Flyco, where we're passionate about equipping you for adventure.
1: that's the sound you want um well that was your option to leave the meeting by the way when it says recording in, pro- in progress
0: that's when you can check out after that it's all
2: so it can disappear
0: <laughs> binding now whatever you say <laughs> uh, well
1: g'day everyone welcome to on the fly um after a little bit of a break we've uh, got a few coming thick and fast and tonight this one's one we've been trying to get happening for a while but um Uh, We're really looking forward to this. We've got a special guest all the way from Tassie. Um, It's Chris Medwin. Chris Medwin's the current Tassie champion. Uh, He's one of Tassie's most accomplished fly fishermen. He was a New Zealand uh, team silver and individual bronze at the New Zealand Commonwealth champs in 2020. Uh, And I met Chris on the Meander River when we were both controlling in the 2019 World Championships. And I think I've been chewing his ear, ear ever since. And uh, he's always been really generous with his passion, and his knowledge. So we're stoked to have him on the fly. Chris, good day and welcome.
2: Oh, uh, good evening, gents. Thanks for having me. No worries, Hi, mate. How are you going? Yeah, very well. Thank you. It's been a busy I few that... weeks, but I know, I,
0: I know it's been a busy few weeks. It's been a busy few weeks for me, too. We, we've got an interesting sort of connection. We've just figured out that uh, we've both just had, uh, well, our wives have both just had baby girls, yeah?
2: Correct, yes. I think nearly the same day.
0: Same day, different states, but uh, same day, baby girl got baby Zoe and you got baby Ava. What yep. were they, about
1: six hours apart? That's pretty uh, pretty crazy when you think of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, very surprising. And neither of us had any sleep since, potentially. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, I heard, I t- I heard that uh, you boys have lined up some sort of a challenge to go with the um, arrival of little Zoe and little Ava. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, oh. thanks. St- you go, Steve.
0: <laughs> well, we were just messaging the other day and um, and figured this out. So I just threw a challenge out to Chris. I think it's one that I'll lose. I don't know, I'm glad I haven't put money down on it. Um, <laughs> but we were we were figuring out how how close the girls were in size and weight and all that sort of thing. So my uh, my girl Zoe was eight pounds four. Chris, yours was what was your? Can you remember? Uh, four.
2: Seven pounds seven, I think.
0: So I think I said within the next 12 months, the first one of us to catch a fish the same size or, or bigger wins the challenge.
1: Well, I can tell you I got my money 100% odds on Chris, and it's not just because <laughs> his waters are open at the moment.
0: <laughs> I did go for a bottom bash um, on the weekend with a mate up here and caught about a six-inch nana guy. So, but no, it, it would have been about uh, half a pound, if that. Can we just clarify? Is it trout? It's got to be trout, though, surely. I was just
2: thinking we probably should clarify that.
0: Yeah. I reckon it's definitely trout. Actually, I think, no, I think it's, look. You're going to say gummy shark or something. Look, there's a pretty good fish market down my local shop, so. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the only way I'll win.
1: (laughs) You've got a few secret spots you can get up to, Chris. That No doubt you'll be able to tick over the seven-pound mark pretty easy. I've seen some of your fish off last season. You'd be up there.
2: Yeah, hopefully we can sneak a few out of somewhere, but we'll see. I'd really like to come down and fish side by side with Steve. We'll both have a go
0: together. That'd be good fun.
1: Well, uh, as soon as the board uh, is open and book a trip, mate, sounds perfect.
0: Yep, for sure. Hey, uh, hey, Chris, we like to always just check in with all our guests and, and find out what's got them into fly fishing. You've obviously been fishing for quite a while, uh, current state champ down there in Tassie. And, um, and national team. Tell us, though, what, what started it all for you? What got you into fly fishing? And, and can you remember that first fish on the fly?
2: Yeah, I can remember it all pretty clearly. I, um, my grandfather took me tiddly fishing just with a bamboo pole. From the north, so I'm from the northwest of Tassie, just outside of Stanley. We used to fish the rivers flowing through the farms there. I quite enjoyed that. And then I upgraded into um, fishing for blackfish with more of like a tea tree pole. And then one day, um, we were at my grandparents' for lunch and my granddad was off to the shack the following weekend. My mum thought it would be a good idea to say to him to take me, a little nine-year-old, up there with him. So the next day he brought out, um, it, was a, it was a graphite rod, albeit um, it had been mended because he'd shut in the car door. so The tip was a little bit thicker than it would be normally. And um, I practiced on casting onto a little uh, bucket, a lid of a bucket in the um, in the driveway. So it was good. And then the following week, we went up to a shack at our shack at Brady's and fish Bronte Lagoon, which was um, really good. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Except I did get homesick about three days in. <laughs> Tell me so, up there. We uh, were up there until I got homesick, and then we had to come home. So <laughs> I think he, he, um, I think he regrets taking me on that trip. But I don't think he regrets ever teaching me how to fly fish, and watching him pick off the spinner feeders in style Bay was pretty much it for me. So from then on, I um, I put down the spinning rod and only used that on the rivers because I found it too tight to cast a fly rod. And I had an uncle dam which was about 500 metres across the paddock from where I lived so after work I'd um, walk across and fish the dam and most of the patterns I was using were more of your traditional style English patterns and the first trout I got after about six months was a four and a half pound rainbow and that was on a little robin and um, I can remember dragging it up the Bank, picking it up in both hands, dropping the rod, running all the way to my uncle and auntie's to show them this fish. So very fond memories. <laughs> did that, fish, memories. Get released?
1: Or did that <laughs> fish get eaten?
2: No, that fish didn't get um, released. But I've released a lot since then.
1: <laughs> I, oh, it's, I can hear the passion in your voice when you still remember, it. and even where on Zoom I can see you talking about it, and I can see that that moment comes back, doesn't it? The excitement all doesn't go away.
2: Uh, absolutely. And what I'd do to be able to fish that particular dam as it was back then again today it'd be amazing because um it just all the understanding i had whereas i just had no idea what i was doing then i can remember the fish rising i remember casting to it and eating but now knowing that it was a rainbow i probably wasn't that exact fish by the time my cast landed out there it was probably his mate trailing but anyway it's all very interesting good fun
1: You definitely pick it up over the years mate and you are an expert and look you are one of the lucky ones that's able to sort of get out and fishing at the moment. Most of us are still in lockdown or, you know, um, restricted in terms of movements. And, um, you know, I've known you for a little while and I know you've fished all around the world and you've, um, you know, sight fished some pretty special destinations. You've, uh, you've done places like, uh, you know, um, Peru, you've done Slovenia, Kiribati, Cook Islands, these destinations that, you know, angler's dream of going but you know you often say that the mecca for you is just getting up the shack at myena and spending some time up in the lakes um so if we spend a bit of time chatting about the tassie season so many great fishing options it's a long season from pretty much early august to late may what's it like at this time of the year or just before when you know that there's a season approaching you've got it all ahead of you what what are you looking for in terms of uh you know weather in terms of temperatures in terms of Uh, you know, for the season to line up, for you to know that it's all going to fire and it's going to be a cracker? Um,
2: Yeah, I quite like, I think like a lot of us do, we quite like the rainfall, having that nice bit of rainfall coming across winter, but quite often we'll start to get it September, October, and then really peak around the end of October with our rain. But this year in particular, we've had a very, very wet um, winter, which is good. Like Great Lake, I noticed the other day is that, uh, it's at the height that it got to its highest point last year in November. So if we continue to still have good rainfall through November, I don't know how high that'll be. Um, reports are echoes the same. Went down to the Bronte-Binny chain the other day and uh, Brady's chain, and they are all um, they're all flowing like they're full and spilling some of them. So we're in for a good one this year. I quite like that. I quite like the frog feeders. We're starting to hear a few of those around the lake edges. It is still quite cold up top at the moment, like it's snowing up there this week. So in terms of your fly selection and stuff like that at the moment, you're probably doing a bit more searching still with some of your bigger flies, some of your woolly bugger type patterns. And once probably towards the end of, September those um, skinnier margins on the edges will start to warm up a little bit. The frogs will start to get around them and so with the other little invertebrates and then that'll bring the fish into those shallows that little bit more. So that's probably what's going to happen then. So you're probably all of that type of fishing would start about then and up until then I might focus about in the boat a bit. If I was in the western lakes I'd probably go along the edges and try and pick those type of waters but the, otherwise, so, the rivers.
1: So it's um it's shaping up to be a good one this year with all the rain. And that that obviously that's that's bringing a lot of food to the lakes, is it? It's just giving them plenty of water to sort of mooch over. What's the what's? I mean, for people that are out there and just not familiar with the, the Western Lake systems or the Tassie sort of fisheries, what is it about? You know, the heavy rain that really really helps the season to gear up.
2: Well, essentially, the heavy rain is what's helped create the Western Lakes fishing system. So, with being over. 3,000 lakes and tarns out there it's been these really big weather events that have pushed the lakes so the fish have started in some sections of these lakes and tarns and every flood they just migrate further and further up different systems so you're finding some of these fish in some of these headwaters of the lakes right out west that there's only a handful of fish that have got in there ever and they've got quite big So that's what makes it so beautiful. And it's a bit of a boom or bust fishery. So you'll have a year where it might um, get really hot over the summer and you might lose a few of these fish, but then they might return in whenever the water levels rise again. Other systems sustain these fish and um, have got really good breeding. So that's the beauty there as well. You can have a tarn with a really big maybe one or two really big fish in it then right beside that you can have uh, another water that could be teeming with smaller fish so there's so many options and the substrate's different to each of them so sometimes you'll have like a rocky lake right beside like a soft bottom dirty lake one might be shallow one might be deep so and each one will will fish quite differently on any given day which just gives you so many different options not to Mm. mention how remote and beautiful it is out there
0: yeah, it is like, it, it, it is really remote and beautiful are, are the key terms, hey. It's, it's really a unique place in the world. Um, many people would never have been to Tassie, and um, the Western Lakes District. Um, and the way I've just described it is, is great, Chris. Um, I mean, some, some of the lakes are, are huge, take you all day to walk around. Others are, are quite small. Um, like you said, 3,000 uh, lakes up there. And you get to get up there every year. Um, how, how how have you noticed it change? Have you noticed it changing over time? Is it still really uh, remote access? You, you know, lots of hiking in, or are there other people? Uh, are there people that have um, been able to get vehicular access um, to certain parts of it? I was impressed you part. got that
1: one out, mate. You haven't had much sleep the last few weeks, and you have still got vehicular out there. Well done. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, it's a bit hard to answer that question completely because some of these some of these places like the Julian's lakes and different areas like that have had vehicular access for quite a long time sorry I shouldn't say that they've had vehicle access for a long time so um, back from when they used to graze cattle and stuff out there so some of those have been maintained so you can take some quad bikes and some um, vehicles out there but otherwise yeah. generally it is all to do with walking and yeah, getting yourself out there that way which is another one of the beautiful special things about it and what we'd like to um, really maintain because you earn the right to go out there some of us believe and, um, and you've got to work for it and that's all part of it too, it's part of the challenge and it also just it just looks after a little bit more some of us think too Plus, it's nice
1: I 100% agree with you on that, Chris. I went I went um, into the Upper Julian's Lakes from the Lake Mackenzie side oh, a few years back now. It was my first sort of remote trip into the Western Lakes with another mate. We hiked about 15 and a half k's in and camped by one of the, um you know, the tarns up the Upper Julian. And like you were saying before, you've got some really big lakes with lots of sort of, um, you know, pound to two pound fish. But then there were some tarns that wouldn't have been bigger than a football field. And there was just two or three fish cruising around. And it's just... When you see those fish in the light of the day, and you've got blue skies behind you, and you can see those fish just pop in the water, it's just there's just something about it. I don't, I don't know if you find it anywhere else in the world, and it's just and, and like you say, you have to earn that have to earn that right to get in there and to to see it, you know. And and when you do, it's um it's just you just can't wait to get back up there and do it again.
0: <laughs> hey hey Chris, if if you do get up there with Ben for a fish, just take your own eperb. Because he won't wait for you, mate. He will he'll, he'll just go. He walks about fifty miles an hour, and uh, he'll leave you behind because he's got one. He's he's got he's single-minded. He wants to go for he just wants that fish, and he's, he'll leave you. So just keep that in mind, mate. He Sounds like a good guy, uh, but when you get up into the bush, you, you you might be on your own,
1: mate. I tell you, I'll be following Chris, mate. He knows all the good spots. <laughs> I've only been up there a few times. He lives up there, so I know where I know where I'll be putting my money.
0: I've never seen you follow anyone you're always the way out in front. <laughs> I pick my moments.
2: <laughs> now that's a good tip there Steve I'll keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> and I, and I know we went fishing with when you went up there with Dave and um, Dave will corroborate my story that you got a shout at Ben. Wait,
1: <laughs> there was there were to, there were times on that trip where I honestly thought Dave was going to kill me. <laughs> um, but he didn't and it, and it was it turned out I had the GPS and I was right. So he, he actually said later on, he goes, you know what, you were right. So one time that I was right. Only one, that was it.
0: Well, Dave, Dave Dave's the guy, kind of guy that could kill a man. And he's also um, doesn't often tell you you're right. So that, that's, that's pretty special then. You survived that <laughs> trip with Dave and you were right and he was wrong. <laughs> uh,
1: what are some of your magic moments up there, Chris? When we talk about hiking into these remote lakes and tarns. And, 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 and I guess the thing about it is just the... It's like an open book, you know, you wake up any given day and it's, it's all ahead of you. You can pick your path, you can hop from lake to lake and, and pre- it's pretty much choose your own adventure. What are some of the, the memories that stand out for you of fishing those remote tarns and lakes up there on the Western Lake systems?
2: Some of my memories, like just listening to you two talking then, some of my memories are probably being out there with mates. Yeah. So being out there, you organise your trip, it's a lead up to the trip, you might have done it two weeks out, it might have been two months out. And you've been getting everything organised, you've packed your fly boxes, you've got all your gear, someone's carrying the tent, someone's carrying the food. And then you get out there and just really enjoy the time together. You can walk along, you're both spotting fish, taking turns at casting. I think that's one of the highlights that I quite like, is just being able to do that. I've also been out there on my own and really enjoyed that as well. Mm. In terms of the fishing, I think every time your experience is really, really different. I don't know if I've got any particular ones that really stand out to me. The one thing that you definitely have to be prepared for, though, is that you might go out there and you could spend up to a week out there in what you consider to be the best conditions for fly fishing you've ever seen, and you might not see a fish. Mm. And that's another... I think part of the beauty of the fishery, you've like once again, you've got to earn it. Like you've really got to um, earn the fish that you might get the opportunity to cast at. I think that's just what makes it even more special.
1: I 100% agree. Me, me and Dave and we were out there our first day. We were out there for three nights, and I think I think like you say, the memories you have, the time you spend. It's not just about the fishing. It's the night times, uh, yarning and cooking food together, and looking up at the you know the big sky. Um, and testing yourself against the elements. I mean, we were there the late November, early December, and we had minus four degrees at night. We had 80 to 100 K hour winds. And there's something about being in those conditions that really, uh, I don't know, just, it just speaks to your soul. It speaks to that primal nature that we all have as humans. And I think that's one of the things that I absolutely loved about it, but you're right. We were there and we saw over those four days and we had snow, we had blue sky, we had rain, we had sleet, we had it all. And I didn't catch a fish. I had a few follows. I had one rise. I pulled the fly out of one's mouth. And and I didn't think I'm never going back again. I thought I cannot wait to get back up there because I now have learned something. I, I know what I'd do differently. I, I was so hesitant every time I saw a fish, I didn't want to cast at it because I thought I'm going to spook this thing. I'm going to spoil my chance. And I ended up working against myself because I was so gun shy. When I went back up the second time, I'd learned from that. I thought just get in position, put the fly there, it'll eat. And I caught fish after fish after fish because I'd I'd learned from that first experience. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of the place. Like you say, it, it's going to make or break you, but it's going to just continually call you back. I mean, I've said to my wife often, that's the place you're going to scatter my ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be the only way I ever, ever get her up there, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> but I just, every time I come away, I just think I just cannot wait to get up there again.
2: Yeah, no, it's certainly a very special place. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Each experience is just so unique and so different every single time. And just what you see, like even sometimes you might just sit there and you might just watch a fish on its beat and it mm. might eat 20 spinners and then you might just walk away and leave him to it because you've already had enough fun and you've seen some really cool stuff. And that's the thing I like. And the other thing too is when you're out in these areas and even anywhere walking the, um, the edges of lakes, I find you really much more in tune with nature yeah. you've been at you can have that time to look around and to take it all into you realize where the like what insects are hatching a bit more of what's going on you might hear the frogs you might change your fly patterns over just different things like that as opposed to being in the boat with the di5 on turning the water to foam it's a little yeah. bit different so that's um that's the thing that i quite like about it or any type of fishing from the edge it's really you're really in tune with nature and that's a bit that i that's my favorite part about
1: it
0: absolutely yeah i mean like, like you're saying get getting away with the mates getting out in nature uh these are the things that i love about uh fly fishing um i know we just had are you okay day in australia and, and um you know I, I think when when you when you're doing those things regularly you do catch up authentically with mates and you do you know, have, have an opportunity to, to debrief how you're going, not just with fishing, but in life, but having something to focus on as blokes is a good thing. Um, fishing together, targeting um, that, that trout uh, and a challenge to work through is, is um, really important for, for blokes, I reckon, especially in Australia where they don't talk much to each other about tough things and, um, yeah, get, getting their way in the bush is really helpful for that, I find hey um hey chris um what you just described is like you know getting out with mates and so on is what i'm passionate about but you're a comp fisherman as well and um what what's what's happening in the comp scene in tassie what's coming up um are you diving into that fully or are you taking a bit easier this year with with the new bub
2: Um, yeah, I I couldn't say I'm diving into it fully this year. I had a really good year last year and, um, and yeah, I'll probably take on the the fathering role a little bit more than the fishing this year. And, um, hopefully I can make it to one or two comps to be really good. I've just had the Carrawong Lakes comp and I believe you've had a bit of a catch up on that, which sounded really, really good and would have been great to be a part of. And the next one I believe is on the Mersey and on Four Springs. So um, that'll be a great mix comp too. So they're doing some great jobs the new committee um, with flyfish Taz. So they're looking at um, yeah they had the bank comp then they're doing a couple of these split ones. Just get you get you a little bit more prepared, I think too for if you do go to these internationals because if you go to an international comp, you need to be ready on any given day to fish a river and fish a lake. Mm. And that might sound pretty straightforward to most people, but if you're in the comp scene, that effectively means that on the lake, you need to have one rod plus your spare rod ready and up to a dozen different spools with different lines on them and then all your lake flies. Then Mm. on the same bus or whatever you're transported around on, then you're gonna need your five or six river rods and reels for all of those, and then all your river flies. So it's quite, a, um, it's quite an interesting thing to get your head around the first time. I found it, um, yeah, nothing really prepares you for it. It's, it's full on. Like the night before, if you know you're just fishing a lake comp, that's easy to sit back and you worry about the lake stuff. But when you've got to have both things ready, it's, um, it's a bit more of a challenge and it's good. And it keeps it all very interesting, I think. And when you're going to compete in four different sessions, two on each, it, um, it can really even the field out a bit as well. Because sometimes we have some of these comps that um, probably not a lot of fish get caught, which um, it, it can throw the, um, the anglers out a little bit sometimes sometimes. Whereas at, I'd say with the rivers and the lakes, you're probably going to get a little bit more of an even spread with your anglers and and the results.
1: Yeah, I, I found it really interesting to see the way that the, the Tassie boys down there were mixing it up this year. And you've expanded the number of comps as well from five to six. Is that right?
2: Yes, I have. Yep. now they're do, doing a great job. Christopher Houston at the helm, in president, and then he's got a fantastic committee, albeit a lot of... Um, women and the women down in tassie are just taking it by storm they're really getting in there they're doing a fantastic job mm. and um and are fishing very very well so it's really exciting what's going on in tassie and at the same time we've still got some of the great anglers that have been competing for years still doing the comps which is great because that's where we all learn and the only reason i've ever worried about doing comp fishing is purely for the learning Mm. not a very competitive person which is probably not going to ever make me a very good comp guy but in terms of um learning it's just unbelievable and i don't know if or i'd love to know if there is any other ways you can learn as much about fly fishing as you can in comps if there is let us let us know mm. but it's um it's unreal you're up there with the latest technologies and everything and it's really really fun
1: and the, and the thing that I appreciate as well is, like you said, the guys are so willing to share. I mean, even yourself, when I was down there at, at Meander when we first met, I was, you know, I, I'm not a bad river fisherman, but lakes for me are the sort of new frontier. And I remember just opening my fly box and saying, hey, watch should I fish And you looked at my fly box and you thought, well, there's not really too many options in there at all, but you were generous and you said, try this, try that. And, um, and I know that's something that you're passionate about as well is mentoring the young guys there and passing on the, the knowledge that you've learned. Um, I know people like Casey Pfeiffer are doing some really great things with, um, with uh, young fishermen around Australia. I know guys like Finn McDowell down there in Tassie. Um, and what we were just talking to Logan Reed the other day, who's just started his first comp, and I've fished with him as a really accomplished fisherman. What, what is it about passing on to the new generation that you think is, first of all, so important, but also so rewarding?
2: Uh, it's just good watching these guys come through. And some of them are really good fishermen straight away, especially with the um like all the stuff on YouTube now. You can become pretty efficient pretty quickly. And then if you can get yourself into an environment where um you're around really good anglers as well, that'll only propel you further. Mm. I um joined the Tassie Fly Ties Club probably a year or so after I moved back to Tassie. And um, we moved down to Hobart, especially. And that was fantastic. Like, um, just meeting everyone, talking to everyone, going to the field days and doing all that. And then what I was noticing was that there was a certain group of people that just seemed to catch a lot of the fish. So I'd kind of gravitate towards those guys a little bit and quite often you'd work out that they're either comp anglers, ex-comp anglers, or really good mates of comp anglers, (laughs) which I thought was quite interesting. And some of these guys, we're talking some 80-year-old guys who are unbelievable fishermen, and like today, and they'll go out there and they know all about the latest in sinking lines. I've got all the latest flies, and they keep right up to date with it, and they're fantastic. So... Going back to your question, learning from those guys and one of which, um, Brian McCullough helped me out immensely with knowledge before going to the Commonwealth in New Zealand because he'd fished the lakes before and he's an ex angler, and he was just amazing with that. So I've, I've had people show me all these different things and take me out and do that. So, And I can see they get enjoyment from that. And I also get enjoyment from if you can help someone else out or if you can just teach them one or two things because there's so much to learn in comps and for me yeah like I say probably the best thing about fly fishing is the learning and it mm. just doesn't stop Like you can be a gear junkie you can be into fly tying you can be into casting you can be into fishing it doesn't matter mm. everyone's just got whatever they like about it and that's the beauty of it It's yeah. just never-ending learning
1: Great opportunity to be a lifelong learner, isn't it? Because like you said, some of those guys are still killing it at 80, 80 plus years old and, you know, they're still probably learning as they go as well and, and open to learning. And that's some, one of the beauties of it.
2: That's Yeah, that's the best part, I think, too. All these guys, that they'll never stop learning. And they, they, they call you up all the time. They're like, oh, what, I heard you went there. What did you get them on? And then I'll call them and all vice versa. So it's really good seeing these young guys come through and they're going to be absolute guns in a little while. And, um, and Kate, what Casey's doing has been fantastic. And I know um, like COVID slowed all of that down a little bit, which is a bit unfortunate, but she's um, getting a lot of stuff up and running, which is just great to see. And these young guys are going to come through and really push it. And that's what's going to make Australia, if we're going to be serious about getting on the world stage and finishing right up there with all these other European teams, that's what it's going to take. Mm. getting these young guys in early getting them to learn early and then going there
1: and i guess it's probably worth mentioning if there's anyone that's listening and is interested you know in in learning more about fly fishing or has young family members that might be keen jump on the fly fish australia website and and look at the youth program links there because there's a lot of stuff going on and i'm sure as as soon as borders start opening and and we start getting out of lockdown um they'll be forging ahead um all guns blazing, and it's something that, you know, if you're interested, it's definitely worth jumping on because there's some really great opportunities for the young anglers coming through.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And jump and have a chat to some of the state chapters as well. Mm. They'll be able to point you in the right direction. And if you're really nervous and you don't want to go along in, straight into a comp because you don't know what to do, you don't feel like you've got the right rod or the right gear, that's fine. Just show a bit of interest, and they might get you to control for a session like you did in the Worlds and like mm. I did. Um, my first comp I, um, it wasn't my first comp I was asked through the club to, um, to be a controller in the nationals that was held down here probably 8 or 9 years ago and then because I was showing so much interest they said oh would well, you want to step in to be a dummy angler on one of the sessions The so next thing you know you're in the boat with these guys in the national championships mm. you're only there for one session but what you get to see is, um, is really really interesting so mm.
1: That's great yeah. advice, mate. Hey, look, it's been really a great pleasure to catch up and finally get this pod done. Hey, I wanted to just um maybe end with, you know, you're pretty, you're not too far into the Tassie season. And I want to talk about the Tassie fly box. And um, if, if we're to look at the Tassie fly box and how, how it evolves as the season goes on, what's, what's the fly box sort of look like early season, mid season, late season. If, if the borders do open, if people are looking to get down there when they can How does your fly box evolve as the season goes on?
2: Yeah. So my fly box just basically right now, if I'm out on the lakes lock styling in a boat, I'm pulling a team of three. So maybe black and red, maybe a Shrek, Magoo, Sparkler, something like that. If I'm walking the edges right now, I'll probably be fishing a fur fly. I just love Sloaney style fur flies. Mm. I, um, I've, I had a little hot spot underneath the fur to mine, but they all work. Um, I think presentation is more important than um, fly selection more often than not. I would then, so we're going to hit a period. I was talking to a friend the other day and he's talking about four springs. And I, he said that, that he didn't really have a lot going on. I said, well, it might be hitting towards this transition period. And you definitely notice it on four springs. You definitely notice on pen stock where you'll be pulling and you'll be getting 20 fish a day and then it'll just kind of all of a sudden slow down or sometimes just completely stop and the fish quite often will literally switch over and they'll switch over to more of their nymphs and those type of things So that's when you want to be downsizing if you want to pull maybe pull slightly smaller flies or switch over to your nymphs um otherwise your nymphs and those style flies and your dry flies associated with those like your done patterns from anywhere from mid-october november december january india february is probably the best time for those type of things um myself like everyone we love this time of year my favorite style of lock styling would be probably like more of a tweaking kind of thing where i'll go a weighted um let's say on point in the middle i might have Oh, an unweighted nymph but it might have something just a little bit different about it. it might have a little bit of flash or just something like that going on. Then up the top I might have a duck fly or a claret dabbler mm. and, um, and I'll just cast that out I find you can turn over your cast really nicely by having that um, weighted fly on point. So if you see a fish rise you can lay it out and you can get that team right in front of it and just tweak it past and quite often that'll eat, get an eat otherwise you can do a slow draw if the fish really start to come up on top, you can flick that weighted nymph off, put an unweighted nymph on, so it'll be just underneath the water. Maybe take everything down the line a little bit. You might um, end up with a dry or something on top, or you might even spin it all around and put a dry on point.
1: And you fishing an in interline usually this time of year? Slow Uh,
2: into right now. So I fished last week, and I fished a three. So at the moment, fishing a three, and the fish like I'd heard all these stories about the fish in Penstock. Sorry to cut this, change the subject, but the fish in Penstock. I'd heard about them there the other day, and I thought I better go and have a have a little look, so Ava was having a sleep and I snuck out for three hours and it was blowing its head off and I was going out of the canal and I was thinking, I don't reckon anyone's actually fished the canal because there's no one else there and I think third cast was a 62.5 brownie which would be my PB on pen stock, I reckon so about six pounds of cracking fish and the fish in there are in amazing condition at the moment which is really cool and um, yeah so that's just on your wet flies at the moment And once they go over to the Duns, then up onto the dries too. Another beautiful thing with Tassie, and that's what we're trying to tell everyone that was coming over for the World Championships, is Tassie, and especially the Western Lakes, it's a real dry fly state too. Mm. The fish will get up and about to the point where you can be on some of these waters, like Bronte's a great one for this, where you won't see... Any fish, or well, there might be one or two fish rising, but then if you put on a team of dries and start stripping them across the surface, whether that just be one big pull and then a pause or just a frantic rolly-polly, the fish will come up over the top of your dry fly. So that's really cool as well. So that's something you can probably start doing anywhere from November, um, from yeah, late November, December, January, February, and then all the way through to the end of the season, they'll eat the dries hoppers and stuff kind of start a little bit later so kind of your February and then into March and stuff especially up in the lakes you might be lucky enough to get your jasset hatches.
1: Mm. Your... I've heard a lot about the jasset hatches but never actually been able to fish
2: one. Yeah, yeah. well truth be told neither really have I. Mm. Like, they're pretty elusive and um, like I've seen a handful of them I've seen enough and my favourite there's a Bibio pattern that I tie and that's my favourite pattern which I fish pretty much exclusively. And um, and that's... Is it red and black? The, yep. That's all you need. Whether it be a wet fly or a dry fly, red and black's really hard to beat in Tassie. And um, in terms of your rivers, your rivers are going to start coming alive. Well, they're fishing pretty well now. They're fishing mm-hmm. first day of the season pretty well. And But if you're fishing in them while well, they're a little bit cooler like they are at the moment, maybe focus on some of the areas where they're getting hit by sun go for that still water, the slower water. The fish aren't going to be in the heavy rough, riffly water at the moment. They'll be in that slower still stuff and quite often in the sun. Mm. I found a patch on the tine and the only patch that had a bit of... Well, I found a patch of fish and it was on the way home. It was on the drive home. I tried to figure out why these fish were there and then, yeah, it occurred to me, yeah, it was the sun. Mm. I'd, caught, I'd caught a good few fish and then in one little patch, I just... It was unbelievable. Well, they are climbing over one another, but they just pulled off to the side, got out of that heavier water, and they're just in there. Mm. So it's, that's where they're going to be. Otherwise, the rivers will really start cranking pretty much from September. Um, later September onwards, you'll get your spinner hatches and that type of thing up north, and then down here, we don't get so much of that. We probably get more of an evening caddis hatch over the summer, more of our dry fly action. Mm. And but they'll all start to fish pretty well once they warm up. And fish like on like places like the meander, for you guys in particular, yeah. that um that really starts to come alive. And the fish will start to come out of all the drains and stuff like that. Towards heading towards Christmas time, once it gets a bit warmer in the main um, river, the fish will come out of those other areas and back mm. into this main meander. So, hey Chris, so I uh
0: mate, that that last few minutes is just I'll be listening to that a few times in 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 fact next time i'm coming to tassie i'm just going to replay this (laughs) this podcast that was the plan (laughs) uh, you could turn that into a book that was amazing advice i've got one question for you though because you talked about a lot of different flies and 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 the teams that you would you would use and um do you do you like to tie up rigs um all set up before you head out and have those rigs with you or do you you like the I, i guess freedom to just change a fly and and Why do you
2: see the conditions and and what's hatching and what's about? Um, Yeah, great question. If you and I were to go out for a fish, I'd just throw my stuff in the car and I'd pull it out and that would go and I wouldn't care and we'd be chatting along and I'd be doing up a leader and I'd be making a fly selection then. The comp side of me, yes, I've got all my rigs are pre-made. So if I'm fishing a lake comp, I'll have them all. I just do them on a pool tube. I'm not saying that's ideal. That's just what I do. There's a lot of other different options to do them on. And um, I can just reel them off. I'll generally have one or two with no flies on it just in case I want to change them. Then I'll have a few made up with my flies. So if it's now, just pulling rigs. If it's in the middle of the year, lots of rigs. So I'd have pulling rigs in different weighted um, diameter lines. I'd have nymphing rigs and I'd have dry fly rigs too. So you're looking at your fluoros versus your monos and all these different types, different spacings for your flies. I'd have one like a bung rig to fish the bung. I'd have all of that ready. Some might already be made up on a specific line as well. So instead of just... Bringing out a cassette and changing from a three one into, I might bring out a, um, I might reel the whole lot in and bring out like a nymph rig that might already be on the dry fly line, something like that. And in terms of the rivers, definitely, and I do this all the time, I've got um, the little foam things that I believe you guys might know a little bit about as well (laughs) that I can. um, that I can spin my uh, little droppers on. So I've got my normal Euro-nymphing leader going down to my micro ring. And from my micro ring, uh, you guys are pretty aware you've done a lot of podcasts with these guys that know more about it than I do. I'll have my double fly set up on there. So what I'll, I'll have probably up to five or six of those in my pocket. So if I'm fishing... And I get caught up or a break off, I can simply just pull another one out, reel it off, tie it straight on. So it's one knot, as opposed to pulling out my tippet, tying one, two, three, four knots. So oh, yeah. just bang, yeah, straight range. on. So I got taught that tip by Martin Droz prior to going to New Zealand. Mm. Had all the made up in my pocket, and I got mentioned it to all the other guys in the team. So we all had it all set up, ready to go. I was on the Wanganui in my third session and I'd been up through the beat. I'd noticed some really good fish and they'd come up and I'd caught a, a few around there but there was one particular, there was a rainbow that I knew was there. He'd come up and it looked. Anyway, I didn't get the eat so I finished, my, um, finished the beat, walked back down and targeted this fish again. There was about, I think there was three minutes to go Cast it out, and the rainbow came and ate. I was like, "You beauty!" Anyway, he's gone across to the other side, and it's um, it all went pear-shaped, mm-hmm. and it, it broke on the indicator actually. But and Jason Garrett, our um, uh, captain, was on the side, and he's like, "Oh, that's it. Chris has done." Because there's about a minute to go. So I reached in my pocket, pulled out one of these, spun it on chucked it out next cast of brownie and that one minute <laughs> of session so it just shows you that if you are prepared and if you do all these different things like that it does go a long way especially with the competition side of things but also even on the river it just makes it good and another thing you can do on the river too like if you're fishing a duo so if you've got say like a tabernas and then you a nymph maybe oh, well quite often i'll have a couple of setups so if i get a fish come and look at, look. at follow my um, tabernacle down the river, doesn't want to eat. I know that there's a fish there that wants to eat a dry fly and Mm. they're happy with the rig. So I'll just straight away um, flick my flies over, spin them on and spin a new set back on. And on that dry, I'll have, say, a black spinner. And in that time, so you've taken, it might only have taken you less than a minute to change it over, but that's given that fish enough time to reposition itself where it was. You lay it back up, and nine times out of 10, he'll come and eat that black spinner. You've offered him something different and you've been able to do it quickly. Yeah. And then maybe because you've already got it on, you might just keep fishing that. And if something refuses your spinner, then go put your other one back on.
1: So you're very much tuning into what's happened on the water rather than preempting anything. You just let it evolve as you fish the session. Or yeah, even yeah. fishing. It's a really yeah. good tip, mate. And look, just hearing your chat there, you can see why this fly fishing game is a lifelong <laughs> love affair and a lifelong learning journey because there's so much to, that can be done with it. There's so much to learn. And, and look, mate, we've really appreciated having you on the, on the pod tonight. There's so much gold in there and, and um, we'll definitely get you back on soon, mate, because I know there's a lot more in that head of yours. No so, problem, what, 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 guys. Thanks, what, thanks very much. No, you're happy to share. And no we love no you, problem
2: mate. at all. No, that's the best part about fly fishing is the community that fly fish as well. It's really great. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Good on you, mate. Now go and burp that baby and, and get some uh, nice coloration on your shoulder like I've got.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've got the earphones in. I was hoping you mightn't have heard her too much during the session, but we'll see how you we hear, go. I didn't hear
1: a thing. Did you, Steve? Sleeping,
2: sadly. Perfect. No doubt she's sleeping, I reckon.
1: What's the tip, mate? You sound like a veteran.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all been luck so far. Hopefully that luck continues, but we're going all right.
1: Well, hopefully the border's open, mate. Sooner we can come down and say good out to E over uh, in the flesh and also get out and have a fish together, mate. We'd love it.
2: Absolutely. I look forward to it, guys, and keep safe up there. I really hope you guys can all get back to normal pretty soon.
1: Awesome, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, H- bud.
2: All right, guys. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening in to On The Fly with Meander Flyco. Don't forget to subscribe or check out our socials or online store at Meander Flyco. Until next time, tight lines.